Good morning, everybody. Hope you are doing well and have um, been able to find some joy in this Christmas season, um, as different maybe as it has been from what we had been anticipating. Um, now, Neville doesn't know what I'm going to speak on this morning, but the verse that he shared this morning couldn't have been a more perfect introduction. And normally at this time of year, we begin to think about the year that's gone and the year that's coming, and we begin to make plans and preparations for the future year that's coming ahead. And after a year like no other, I'm sure many of us want to see 2020 in the past. For some of us, getting to this point has been a challenge, and in some ways getting here is a success um, after all the hurdles and the challenges that we've had to overcome. And so while many of us are looking forward and are excited to be making plans, for some of us, actually, that thought is quite overwhelming. Um, for those of us who maybe aren't dreamers, to think of planning for a future where, we're, where there's so much uncertainty still as to what the coming year is going to be like, sometimes that can be a bit overwhelming. But maybe for some of you, you're already planning because you are a dreamer and you're already coming up with plans for the coming year. Um, and that's great as well. And so wherever you find yourself on that spectrum, maybe even somewhere in the middle, um, hopefully we can learn from our experiences of 2020 before we rush into 2021. And so 2020 can be summed up in many ways, some of them nicer than others. Um, but one of these ways we can sum up 2020 is the year that we stayed home. Whether you were able to continue working, whether you worked from home, whether you were furloughed or maybe became unemployed, we've all spent far more time in our own homes this year than ever before. And as challenging that as that has been for various reasons, um, I think there's something that we can learn from that. The first chapter of John is one that we often read at this time of year. It's this poetic introduction to his gospel, almost like an overview of the book. First John 1.14 says, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Another version says the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. We saw the glory with our own eyes, the one of a kind glory, like father, like son, generous inside and out, true from start to finish. The NLT uses the word, the word became human and made his home among us. Jesus made his home here on earth. And one thing that I will be taking away from 2020 is a new appreciation for my home, a new appreciation even for this village. I've spent far more time here than I would have ever spent before, and more time walking and finding new paths and streets and ways that we can walk around the village. And it really has built up a level of appreciation for this place. And so this morning, I want to talk about what it is to be a homemaker. C.S. Lewis says, the homemaker has the ultimate career. All other careers exist for one purpose only, and that is to support the ultimate career. A homemaker is defined as someone who manages a home and a family. And if you were to Google homemaker, um, 
Most of the articles you'll find will relate to what it is to be a Proverbs 31 biblical wife and mother. But I think there is more to being a homemaker than your marital status or your gender. So if you're not a wife, if you're not a mother, then please don't tune out because I think there's something that we can all learn from what it is to be a homemaker. Because Jesus came and made his home among us. For our Thursday night midweeks during November and December, Judith led us through the Home for Good Foundations course. It helped us to engage with fostering and adoption and learn more about what that's like for both the children and young people in care, but also those who are carers and adoptive families. In a lot of our discussions, we had time to discuss what it is to be or what makes a home. What does home look like to us? What makes our home our home? Um, and what's special about our home? And what things do we value in our home? Until I was 16, I had never moved house. I'd lived in the same house my whole life. And then since moving to Northern Ireland, I've moved more than 10 times. <laughs> I used to have a box of things that I would, um, that was like my home box, if you like, and it was the things that I would put out first, the things that made my room into my home. So maybe pictures, um, candles, little decorations that made my room feel more like my home. Because there's a difference between having a house and having a home. As a church, we've been in transition. We started off in the little porta cabin um, out by the Stonebridge roundabout. And then we felt called that we had to move into the village. And so that's taken a bit of time. We spent some time in the recreation center um, in the heart of the village, but that wasn't a permanent home for us. And now we're here in the hub. We have a more permanent home. And I suppose in some ways, it's a little bit ironic that the year that we did get a home is the year we've been able to spend the least amount of time in the home. But we've been able to change our view of maybe what church looks like by spending time in our own homes as the church. And I think that's something that God's been trying to teach us, is that we are to be homemakers. Homemakers are called to create a place of welcome for their families, but also for their friends, for their neighbors, and for visitors. We are called to create a space where people can come just as they are and to be loved for just being them. It was a practice of the early church to meet in house churches. So they would meet in one another's homes for the worship and fellowship and communion. And their communities were often very closely knit because there's something that happens when we are invited into someone's home or we invite others into our homes. It changes the relationship. It brings a deeper connection when you spend time in someone's home or they spend time in yours. And while this year it hasn't been as easy to do this or even at times legal to do this um, as it would be in normal circumstances, the basic sense of being bringing someone into your home does require a building. But actually, I think there's something that we can carry about being a homemaker. Carry something of being a person who brings people into belonging. A homemaker gives people a place to belong to and makes them feel like they belong, whether that's in a building or whether that's in the middle of the street. Because we all need a place to belong. Jesus came to dwell among us. He came and made his home among us. 
And in doing so, he gave us somewhere to belong to. A few weeks ago, Neville shared four stories with us about people who had encounters with Jesus. And one of those is found in, all, in three of the Gospels, and that is the woman with the issue of blood. And so we're going to spend a little bit of time looking at this story again this morning. I'm going to read it from Luke's account, which is found in Luke's Gospel, which is chapter 8, starting at verse 43, if you want to read along. So as Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. And a woman who was, was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, Someone had touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. When the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. So some of us know this story quite well. And so without going into too much depth, the Jewish law surrounding um, the, Jew the Jewish people at that time, surrounding cleanliness and uncleanliness, um, meant that this woman was deemed as unclean by her Jewish law. Many of us, for the first time this year, have had the experience of having to stay at home, whether we've had to isolate or quarantine, or maybe you've been shielding. And for us, this has lasted maybe a few weeks, a few days, some cases maybe longer, several months. But this woman was essentially forced to live in isolation for 12 years. She had to isolate from her community. She had to stay home. Because she was unclean, her very presence in the crowd would have made anyone who came into contact with her unclean. And I'm sure we've all had moments where we've struggled with our social distancing and staying apart, especially if you're a hugger. Um, but this woman had to do this for 12 years so as not to make anyone else unclean because of her. As soon as the woman touches Jesus, her bleeding stops and she knows she has been healed. And in an instant, Jesus does what no doctor has been able to do for her. We see here Jesus' power as he heals this woman without even uh, saying a word to her. She touches his garment and she is healed. But it also reveals something about Jesus and the, his relationship with the law. Leviticus 15.31 God says, you must keep the Israelites separate from things that make them unclean, so they will not die in their uncleanliness for defiling my dwelling place, which is among them. In the Old Testament, God's dwelling place was the temple. The Israelites would go to the temple to go to God's dwelling place. But in the New Testament, God came and dwelt among the people in the person of Jesus. And through Jesus, the penalties of the law are reversed. The contamination and uncleanliness of the world did not affect Jesus. So but the woman's touching Jesus did not make him unclean, but in her touching him, he made her clean. The story of this woman takes place within a larger story, the healing of Jairus' daughter. Jairus was a synagogue ruler, and he'd asked Jesus to come and lay hands on his daughter who was dying. 
Jesus agrees and goes to the girl, and while he is on his way, he is interrupted by this woman who touched his robe. Jairus was an important man in that society, well-respected, and in contrast to this woman who has spent the last years of her life on the fringes of society, unable to be part of her, their community because of, their cleanliness, because of her uncleanliness. In this story, we see a lot of differences between these two people. Jairus, we know his name. The woman, we don't. Jairus was educated. The woman would not have been. Jairus was a ruler in the synagogue, an important man in the community. But this woman wasn't even able to enter the doors of the synagogue because of her illness. Jairus was wealthy. As a ruler of the synagogue, he would have been one of the wealthiest in the community. But this woman had very little. And that little that she had, she'd spent a great deal of on money, giving money to doctors um, to try and heal this illness that she had. And nothing had worked. And Jairus was able to enjoy the company of others and the company of his daughter for the last 12 years. But this woman had spent the last 12 years in suffering. But despite how different their lives had been up until this point, when we meet them in Luke's account, they both find themselves in situations of desperation. And because of their seemingly hopeless situations, they both do all they can to get to Jesus. It would have been expected that Jairus would have sent a servant to get Jesus to bring him to his daughter. But Jairus, in his desperation, went in person. He wasn't bothered about his reputation or his standing in the community or what the other religious leaders would have thought of him. He was willing to sacrifice that just to get to Jesus, for him to help his daughter. He even throws himself at Jesus' feet and publicly begs for his help. The woman, because of her situation, wasn't able to approach Jesus in this way, but she decided she still had to get to him in some way. And so in the, in the midst and the messiness of the crowd, she sneaks up behind him and grabs the hem of his robe. They both risked a great deal to get to Jesus. Both Jairus and the woman saw Jesus as their only hope and both felt like they could go to Jesus in their time of need. Is that the Jesus that we introduce people to? Are we the homemakers who make people feel welcome and make people feel like they belong regardless of the situation they find themselves in? And do we reveal the true nature of Jesus to people or do we block their path? While Jesus helps both Jairus and the woman, we see him in this moment give priority to this woman this would have been shocking to those at the time because Jairus was such an important man. And as they were rushing to this very sick little girl, Jesus stopped because someone touched him. Now, I know for most of us, it's been over a year since we have experienced a crowd. <laughs> and sometimes that might be hard to remember what that feeling is like of being in such a large crowd. But it's normal in crowds that someone brushes against you or bumps into you. And so we see in the story that the disciples are really baffled by Jesus' response of someone touched me. Because I'm sure they probably were thinking something like, well, Jesus, of course someone touched you. Look how many people there are. How could we possibly not walk through this crowd and someone bump into us or brush shoulders with us? Well, maybe that would just be what I was thinking. But anyway, we know that, that the disciples were confused by this statement from Jesus. But Jesus knows it wasn't just a brush of the shoulder or a bump by accident that this had been an intentional touch of his robe to get 
something from him. Now, Jesus could have allowed this healing to take place without stopping and without acknowledging it. Only he and the woman would have known what had happened. But he didn't do that. Jesus stopped what he was doing and acknowledged this woman. He acknowledged and honored that her healing had come about because of her faith. By publicly acknowledging this woman's faith and healing, he gave this woman a sense of belonging. This woman who had spent 12 years not being able to be part of community was welcomed back in by Jesus and into belonging. In this year of staying at home, of isolation, belonging is more important than ever. And belonging comes from knowing who we are and whose we are. There's another story in the book of Matthew where Jesus uses an interruption to show the importance of belonging. It's found in Matthew 19. Verse 13 says, Then people brought little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples rebuked them. Jesus said, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. When he had placed his hands on them, he went on from there. So this verse falls into the story of Jesus leaving Galilee for the final time and heading to Jerusalem. We find him confronted by some religious leaders who are asking him tough questions about divorce. And again, this short story is almost like an interruption to the main events, but not to Jesus. The disciples obviously felt like it was an interruption, but Jesus did not. Again, the contrast in this story is between important religious people whose society would have held in high esteem and these little children who, in those days, would have been the lowest in the social pecking order. Children were almost given a, a, a role similar to servants. They were loved by their own families, but to other people, they were low in priority and low in importance. So it would not have been expected that Jesus would give these little children priority over the religious leaders' questions. And as Jesus challenges this, he rebukes the disciples for trying to stop them. It would have been so shocking to the people at the time, and sometimes we can read over these things without giving it much thought, but the, the people watching would have been really surprised by this. In this moment, Jesus prioritizes these little children over the religious leaders, and in doing so, acknowledges their importance and their place of belonging in his kingdom. It doesn't say whether it was the mothers or the fathers, it's, but we think it would be the parents that were bringing their children. So both parents bringing their children to Jesus. And the word bringing that's used in this verse is more like the word that's used when we offer a sacrifice to God or when one dedicates themselves to God. So it, in some ways, instead of going to, out to visit someone, this was more like the parents bringing their children to be dedicated to God. At the time, that would have been a common thing to do. Just like we have dedication services here, um, at the time it would have been common for parents to bring their children to the rabbi to bless, their, to bless their child. And so for Jesus, this opportunity was important enough to be interrupted. And so he reacts strongly to the disciples. The word used is, when he saw this, he was indignant, which is a strong word, but Jesus was upset with the disciples because their actions did not represent him. 
And as the Holy Spirit guides us to be more like Jesus in our thoughts and in our actions and in the way that we live our lives, we must be open to these challenges when our initial response doesn't match exactly what Jesus would want us to do in this situation. When we pay attention to the Holy Spirit, he reveals us, he reveals to us the mind of Jesus, which can often be in contrast with what our society would think was the right thing to do. Our culture is one of individualism. It teaches us to look after ourselves and our own. It teaches us often to ignore those who are on the outskirts. But perhaps this year, we've all been forced to stop and acknowledge that each of us needs each other. That in our state of being separate and distant from family and community, that that was not the way that we were meant to live. And that actually we really do need our communities, we need our friends, we need our families, and to be rooted in belonging more than ever. And being people who bring others into that place of belonging. There's a saying, it takes a village to raise a child. But actually, I think it takes a village to raise, to raise each of us throughout our entire lives. We share in the responsibility for each other, for our nurturing, for our encouragement, for prayer, and for living our lives with the guidance of the Holy Spirit to make us more like Jesus. We cannot do that in isolation. Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Children are reliant on their parents or carers to provide for them. And often we live with that illusion of control as adults, the ability to control what happens in our lives and in our world. But this year, more than ever, we have been reminded of our helplessness and lack of control and just how much we need God. At the heart of our faith is the knowledge that we need God. We cannot live like Jesus in our own strength. And just as young children are helpless without a care to provide for their needs, so we are helpless without God. We have a dependence on God, but we also have a dependence on others and those around us. And while we're still learning what that looks like to, to spend time and to, to be connected um, in these challenging times when we can't be as connected or connected in the ways that we're used to, we all recognize that we have this dependence for people. We need to belong and to create space for people to find belonging. And here we see Jesus welcoming both this woman and the little children to come into belonging with him. And we need to learn to do the same. To do this, we need to realize that God is our provider and we are dependent on him that he creates a place for us to belong, and, and because of that, we can then create a place for others to belong to. And so this year, as we come to the end of what has been a year like no other, we need to be rooted more than ever in our identities as sons and as daughters. And so to close, I'm just going to take a few minutes and read a passage over you. Um, I'm going to do it in a way that's called Lectio Divina, which if you've not heard of before, is basically a way of reading the Bible that forces us to slow down. It allows God to speak to us through the text. And so you're welcome to read along, or it might even be better if you just listen to the words as I read them over you. So I'm going to read it twice slowly, and each time listen for a word or a phrase that stands out to you. Maybe it catches your attention in some way. 
and feel free to write it down and just to take a moment and, and focus in on the word. So if you hear a word the first time, you can write it down and I'm going to leave a gap in between the two readings. Um, and then the next time, just listen again for that phrase that stood out to you. So I'm going to be reading from Ephesians chapter 1. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. He decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He has shared his kindness on us, along with all wisdom and understanding. God has now revealed to us his mysterious will regarding Christ, which is to fulfill his own good plan. And this is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance for God. For he chose us in advance, and he makes everything work out according to his plan. God's purpose was that we, the Jews who were first to trust in Christ, would bring praise and glory to God. And now you Gentiles who have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you, when you believe in Christ, he identifies you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit, whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he give us inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so we would praise and glorify him. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms, because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us, who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He has shared his kindness on us, along with all wisdom and understanding. God has now revealed to us his mysterious will regarding Christ, which is to fulfill his own good plan. And this is the plan, that at the right time, he will bring together everything under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God, for he chose us in advance, and he makes everything work out according to his plan. 
God's purpose was that we, the Jews, who were first to trust in Christ, would bring praise and glory to God. And now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit, whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so we would praise and glorify him. Amen. Father, we just thank you for the words that you have spoken to us this morning. We pray that the words that you have stirred up in us and the things that resonated with us, that you would steal that in us. Holy Spirit, help us each day as we encounter different situations and different circumstances to listen for your voice, to trust in the things that we hear, and to be people who create homes and spaces of welcome for others. Father, we thank you for each person who is listening or engaging this morning. And we pray a blessing over each home, each family, each person. And Father, for anyone who doesn't feel like they belong, for anyone who doesn't feel welcome this morning, God, we just pray that they would feel your presence with them, that they would feel the warmth of your love, and that they would feel the embrace of you, Father. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great day, everybody.